You're listening to the Finchwood Discipleship Podcast. My name is Matthew, and as your host, my mission is to help you discover who God is and what it means to live as a citizen of His kingdom. Greetings. Welcome to the Finchwood Discipleship Podcast. This season, we're getting really practical with how-to guides on some commonly challenging aspects of this way of life that we call Christianity. As you heard in the intro, my name is Matthew, and it's my honor to talk to you in this episode about prayer, which in a lot of ways is the thing that a relationship with God is really made of. Prayer is a topic that, frankly, has been terribly misunderstood and needlessly overcomplicated throughout the centuries, which is unfortunate because it's so very critical to your development as a disciple, as a follower of Jesus. That's why we've actually talked briefly about prayer in a couple of previous episodes, even going back through season one, and it's also why we're taking an in-depth look at prayer today. So first of all, we have to ask the all-important question, what is prayer? There are a lot of very simple answers I could give you, like prayer is a conversation with God, or it's when we ask God for things, or it's communication between the human and the divine, and I guess those aren't technically incorrect, but I'd like to propose a broader definition. Prayer is any activity or experience in which we relate directly to God. I know that's really broad, possibly to the point of sounding like it doesn't mean anything at all, but please bear with me as I elaborate for the next few minutes. Among other things, the Christian faith is built on two fundamental premises that come to bear on this discussion on prayer. The first is that God is personal, which means that he has his own very definite identity, his own consciousness, thoughts, preferences, and intentions. The second is that God is relatable, that he's not so distant and so separate from us that we can't have a relationship with him. To the contrary, the Bible says that God isn't far from any of us, and he loves nothing more than making himself known to human beings. In other words, we believe that God is an individual and that it's possible for an interpersonal relationship to exist between him and each of us. Now, when we talk about relationships, for some people the first thought in their minds is a romantic relationship, since that's the world that many of us hear that word in most often. But our relationship with God isn't that exactly. It's also not exactly like a parent-child relationship or a relationship between friends, or between an employer and their employees, or any of the other kinds of relationships that we know and exist in every moment of our lives. Knowing God is unique because God is unique. There's no other being quite like him. On the other hand, each of those other kinds of relationships has the potential to reflect something of our relationship with God. So there's something that we can learn about him in how we relate to any other person. It's also worth noting at this point that how I might primarily view my relationship with God reveals a lot about the health of my relationship with him. If I relate to him in much the same way that I relate to a close friend or to my spouse, that's one thing. And it's very different from if I relate to him much the same way I relate to my boss or to a cop after I've been pulled over on the highway. The first couple of examples are relationships that hopefully involve trust. These are people who have my well-being in mind, and they have accepted and love me for who I am. The second set of relationships are based on fear or obligation or earning something from someone, and that's a lot less healthy. That's not what we're going for in a relationship with God. 
The goal here instead is to have a deep, intimate relationship with our Creator. Unfortunately, so much teaching on prayer treats it like an obligation or a box that we have to check off so that we won't be in trouble. But it's so much more vibrant than that. And as we explore this topic together and as you continue to explore it even after this week, I would encourage you first and foremost to think of prayer as an opportunity that you're being invited into rather than as a task that just needs to be completed. As I've said before, there's nothing you can do to make God love you any more or less, and prayer is no exception to that. So keep that in mind. Now, when we talk about having a relationship with God, that means a lot more than just talking. Think of it this way. What do you do with your friends? Do you only ever have one-on-one conversations with them where you tell them what you need and then they tell you what they expect from you? Of course not. Friendship, whether it's with another human being or with the king of the universe, involves spending time together, sometimes talking, more often listening, and even more often, simply living in such a way that you're present with one another. I'm someone who enjoys hiking, so if one of my friends wants to explore a new trail with me, I'm usually down to try that, but that doesn't mean we spend the whole time talking. Just doing that activity together, in each other's presence, is of great value when it comes to building the relationship. Another great example would be my relationship with my wife. In addition to being married, we are also good friends, and yes, part of that means we talk about all kinds of things. And some of those things are important, while some of them are just silly inside jokes. We know how to make each other laugh, and we've also seen each other weep. We both know each other well enough to know when the other is anxious or tired or having a great time without having to say anything. Now, your relationship with God can work very much the same way. Over years and years of spending time with God, you can learn his personality, and that happens when you do more than just talk. It takes time that's invested in doing and being more than simply speaking. Really, you can pray, and by that I mean you can spend time with God, in complete silence, or by having a meal, or by doing literally any other activity, all while simply being aware of his presence within and around you along the way. In the Bible, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, we're actually encouraged to pray continually. And I think that this, rather than kneeling and reciting a set of religious words, is what that means. It's being with God. It's maintaining contact with Him, whether or not you're saying anything. And with practice, you'll be able to maintain that connection no matter what else is going on around you. You could be in the middle of a war zone, or watching a movie, or driving, or at work, or a million other situations, and simply know and feel that He is with you. If you're just starting out, that goal may seem like it's a long way off, and that's why it's important, especially if you're a beginner at following Jesus, to set aside time just for the two of you so that you can get used to what he's like and learn how to hear and experience him without all the pesky distractions that life can be so full of. Now, even though prayer is more than talking, you will still end up exchanging words every now and then. This means you're going to have to do some of the talking, but what exactly is there to talk about, and how should you say it? Some people get really self-conscious and timid in this area, but the good news is that even when prayer does involve talking, it's still fairly open-ended. The main thing to remember is that God isn't going to judge you by what you say. 
If anything, I promise you he's just glad you showed up to talk. The moment we start trying to perform to make him like us more, the relationship becomes less authentic. Sometimes we do that by censoring what we say, reserving our time with God for things that we imagine he would prefer to talk about. Another way we fall into that trap is by thinking God wants us to speak 17th century English or use a particular accent, or even avoid using certain words because they're less polite than others, or we might have been told that we have to maintain a certain posture while we pray, like kneeling or keeping our eyes closed or clasping our hands together. A lot of the time we also feel like we have to end our prayers in a certain way, like with in Jesus' name. In short, we sometimes do all kinds of things to try and sound and look holier or more important or extra spiritual in some way. And I can assure you that that's entirely unnecessary. God isn't fooled by the ways we pretend, so my advice to you is not to try and pretend. It's much better to just be yourself, say what's on your mind and on your heart, and be honest with him. So often, our models of prayer are based on a traditional script in which we recite the words of another person, perhaps a famous saint or a pastor, and then we use them as our own. And there's nothing wrong with doing that, but it probably shouldn't be the majority of your prayer life. Once again, this is a great place where the analogy of our human-to-human relationships can teach us a lot. My wife probably wouldn't mind if I recited poetry to her every now and then. But if all I ever did was follow her around reciting Shakespeare's sonnets, we wouldn't really have a relationship that goes beyond the limits defined by the restraining order because that's pretty weird. God wants to have a relationship with you, and that includes your personality, your thoughts and feelings, expressed for the most part in your words and actions. With that said, especially as you start out, you might not know what to say. And there's nothing wrong with using someone else's words as a template or as a conversation starter. Along those lines, it's also a great idea to look at how people prayed in the Bible. Probably the best example in scripture of how to pray comes from Jesus himself. He gave us a really great example to follow, and at some point during his ministry, his followers noticed the depth and the vibrancy of his prayer life, so they asked him, basically, how can we do that? Lord, teach us how to pray. His answer included the points about consistency and authenticity that I just mentioned, as well as another point about not using prayer to be showy or to put others down because it's not about them, it's about you and God. Now this is a bit of a side comment, but a lot of people take those verses to mean that you should never let anyone hear you pray out loud, but it's really more about what's going on in your heart. As long as you're not praying so that other people will think highly of you, you should be okay. But back to Jesus, he gave us an example of how to go about praying. It's called the Lord's Prayer, and a lot of people actually memorize it and recite it as a prayer to God, and it's certainly valid to use it that way, but I think Jesus meant it even more as a template, so to speak, that we can use to make sure our conversations with God aren't missing anything crucial. In addition to the Lord's Prayer, there are a lot of other models that people have come up with over the years to teach people how to pray, and some of them are actually really good. Some people, for instance, pray through the Psalms, reasoning that the best way to speak God's language, if you want to put it that way, is to pray scripture back to him. And in particular, the book of Psalms is filled with examples of just people telling God how their lives were going and asking him not only to do something about it, but to be with them in it. 
Along those same lines, I've seen people gather up all the verses in the Bible where one of Jesus' followers is praying. These are what they call apostolic prayers, and we can certainly follow their lead and pray likewise. Another method that I was taught a while back was to form prayers around the so-called ACTS model. That's A-C-T-S, which stands for Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, and Supplication. Now, those are all very fancy $10 Latin words, but really what it boils down to is you can start by worshiping God and then clear up anything that might be hindering your relationship with him. Then thank him for his goodness and then make your request. That's not a bad way to do things because it's easy to remember and it is a good conversation. I do know of one guy who developed an acrostic using the word fellowship with all 10 letters pointing to different things he wanted to remember to include as he prayed and That one might be a little too complicated for most people. But hey, if that one works for you, then go ahead and use it. Another model I could include here is what's called Lectio Divina, which is Latin for divine reading. Basically, this is a method for prayerfully reading short passages of scripture, pondering them in your heart, and then expecting God to explain their meaning to you as you do so. By the way, I recognize that I'm throwing a lot of Latin and Greek terms at you, please don't feel like you have to remember any of them. The point here isn't to take on a bunch of new vocabulary, it's to find things that work. And I'm including each of these resources here so that you can look into them later if you're interested. My personal favorite method for praying is what's called hesychastic prayer. That one comes from an ancient Greek word meaning stillness. In this method, you do what you need to do to calm yourself down, often by breathing slowly and intentionally, while cultivating an awareness of the presence of God with you. And then you simply repeat phrases back to God every so often, while really soaking in the meaning of what you're telling him. These phrases could be as simple as, God, you're so good, or, thank you, Jesus, and my all-time favorite, God, I trust you. It's not for everybody, but it's really helped me to learn to recognize God's presence as I calm myself down enough to hear him speak. There are so many other models and resources that I could mention, like Harp and Bowl Worship, 24-7 Prayer and Communities, and a host of others, but this episode is getting pretty long already. One idea that I have for exploring more of these is that I plan to make a series of short videos on the Finchwood YouTube channel, each highlighting and trying out one of these models of prayer for you so that you can see them in action. Moving on from the different models of prayer that are available, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, having a relationship with God includes dimensions that are a lot like being his friend, or his son or daughter, his beloved, and so forth. And a legitimate part of each of these different relationship roles is that we have the opportunity, or maybe even the right, to ask the other person for various requests. The key here, honestly, is to be bold. If we really believe that God is good, that he loves us specifically, and that he's all-powerful, it makes sense that he would want to intervene on our behalf in our lives. To be clear, it's not that we deserve his good graces or that we've earned this in any way, but because he's faithful in his love for us, we can be confident as his friends, as his children, as his beloved, as we approach him with all sorts of requests. So what might we ask God for? Theologically, our requests could be divided into two basic groups. First, there are prayers for ourselves and our own needs. Sometimes you'll hear those called supplications. 
This is the category that basically sounds like, God, I want this, or God, I need this, God, please do this. And there's nothing wrong with asking for those things. In fact, God is honored by our requests because they're a sign that we trust him to bless us and to take care of our needs. They're a way for us to demonstrate our confidence in his goodness. The other category of prayer that you'll sometimes hear people talk about is intercession, which has more to do with pleading on another person's behalf. This is, God, please help so-and-so. Heal this person. Bless them. Now, I don't know that those two categories are as rigid as some people make them out to be. After all, oftentimes when you're praying for a friend, you're also praying on your own behalf because you have a personal interest in what happens to the people that you care about. That's perfectly normal. There's also a whole potential category along the lines of God help us with this or that, and that would span both categories. The main reason that I am bringing up these two different types of prayer requests is that a balance between the two is often a sign of a healthy prayer life. After all, if all of my requests are for other people, oftentimes that means that I don't genuinely believe God wants to bless me, which simply isn't true. However, if all of my requests are for me, then that probably means I might not be thinking of other people enough. So, really this is an area where a balance is probably what you're looking for. The right balance, if there even is a right balance, is going to be different for each person in each season. Just make sure that you are doing both at some point. One last thing to note here is that to God, no request is too big or too small. Whether you're a bankrupt executive trying to hold his business together or a little kid who just wants a dollar to buy some candy, whether you have terminal cancer or you just stubbed your toe, either way, God cares what's going on in your life and he wants to do something about it. So ask, ask boldly, ask expecting him to respond because he loves you. Now that covers our end of the conversation, but it's also best, as with any other relationship, if we let God do some of the talking. It can be really hard to hear at first what God is saying since he's not flesh and blood standing face to face with us. But over time, we can learn to pick up on what God is saying and what he's feeling at any given moment. One way he does that is by giving you this unexplainable feeling of certainty about something as if he's nodding in agreement. Or on the other side, sometimes you have that feeling, you know, in the pit of your stomach that something is just not right. And sometimes that's his way of showing you that he disagrees with something. Some people actually feel physical sensations on their skin that let them know God is with them. Sometimes he will speak to you through a trusted mutual acquaintance or through the circumstances of your life. Finally, others actually do simply hear the voice of God as if he were speaking directly to them though that's relatively rare, and personally, I've only had that happen to me a handful of times. For me, more often than not, I experience God by acknowledging that he's in the room with me, and when I do, I feel his presence with me the same way that you might know when a friend is next to you or someone's walked into the room, and then from there, he begins to tell me things that just pop into my head, and I'll admit I'm still in the process of learning which thoughts are from him, and which ones are just mine, other than that some of them just hit different. I'm sorry that I can't explain it much better than that, but that's precisely because this is such an intimately unique experience for each person. God will meet you and speak to you in a way that's perfectly tailored to you and the way that he created you. Now, when it comes to answers to prayer, 
To be fair, sometimes we ask him for something and then he says no. And that's okay. It doesn't mean you were wrong to ask, nor does it mean that you've damaged your relationship with him in some way. This is one of those areas where our relationship with God takes on more of a parent-child dynamic. A 12-year-old may want a new car, but a good parent doesn't go out and get them one just to appease them. Or a toddler may desperately want to eat the, quote, candies that mommy always has with her morning coffee, not realizing that they are in fact her thyroid medicine. When it comes to making requests of God, sometimes we don't know what we're really asking for, or what it would entail, or what it would do to us, if he agreed to grant our requests. I might ask him for a billion dollars, but he's wise and he knows better than I do what that sudden increase in wealth would do not only to me, but to the people around me. And I'm not entirely sure that I would handle it well, to be perfectly honest. At the very least, I would miss out on what he's doing in my heart every day when I get up and I go to work at a job that I don't hate, but I also don't always enjoy doing. A good parent, and by extension a good God, sometimes says no because he knows and wants what's best for us, even when we disagree. Now, not every request is answered with a yes or a no. Quite frequently, when we think that we've heard yes or we think that we've heard no, what we've actually heard is a maybe or a not yet. At least in my own life, I find that I'm willing to hear God say no, but what's actually a lot harder is not getting an answer when I expect it. Waiting, hoping, and then waiting some more is something that my impatient heart doesn't always know how to do, which I think might actually be part of why he makes me wait. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus tells the story of a woman who needed a local judge to intervene on some legal matter, but the problem was that he was corrupt, so she kept bothering him day in and day out until he finally gave her the justice she needed in her case. Now, of course, the point of Jesus' story wasn't that God is a crooked judge or that we need to convince him of what's right and wrong. Rather, it was to show us the type of persistence that God is looking for and trying to develop in us. Whatever it is you need, Unless he opens up the heavens and tells you to stop asking, which has happened on a few very rare occasions, most of the time he wants you to keep asking until you hear from heaven. I'm going to wrap up today's episode soon, but I can't say that I thoroughly covered the topic of prayer without mentioning speaking in tongues. First, for those who don't know, the gift of tongues is a biblical phenomenon in which a believer is guided by the Spirit of God to speak in sounds and syllables that the speaker doesn't naturally understand. In other words, no pun intended, they open their mouths and syllables come out, but they're not part of any language that the speaker has learned, so there's no conscious meaning attached to them. Now, there's a lot of debate among different groups of Christians about whether or not this is something God intends believers to participate in today, but I can't find anything in the Bible that says otherwise. This is a really controversial topic within Christianity, and I'm not even really here to tell you to be for or against it. Instead, I'll leave you with a couple of good guidelines to follow. The first is that other than a few examples in the book of Acts in the New Testament of people speaking in tongues, and a few instructions in the book of 1 Corinthians regulating when to do it and when not to do it, the Bible doesn't really give us much information about this one way or another. So the last thing any Christian should be doing is judging another just because the way that they live out their faith is a little bit different. This is not something that makes people heretics, nor is it something that you have to do to be a genuine Christian. It's a secondary issue, so we should treat it as such. 
Still, if this is something you do, and you find that it brings you closer to God, don't stop on my account. Please keep doing your thing. The second point is that while a lot of people talk about praying in tongues or a secret prayer language or the language of angels, the Bible seems to treat the gift of tongues as something more akin to prophecy. By that I mean that it's described as a way for one person to speak on God's behalf to his people, while another person receives a divine interpretation of what was just said, and so everyone can benefit from that message. When it comes to prayer, however, it looks like the biblical authors mostly expected us to pray in normal, everyday languages, precisely because then we know what we just prayed. That's about all I have to say this week other than two final things. The first is that there are so many great resources on prayer that are available, but one that I can highly recommend if you're the book-reading type is by a man named Pete Gregg called How to Pray, A Simple Guide for Normal People. The other thing I'd like to say before we close is that we can put some of this lesson into practice right now. I would love to pray with you as we close this episode. So please feel free to pray along with me and remember that we're just having a conversation with the God who is with us. So, God, thank you for prayer. Thank you for wanting to speak to us and that you want to hear from us. God, help us to learn how to pray, how to be aware of your presence, and how to hear your voice. We love you, we trust you with our requests, and we trust you to answer us well because you're good. Amen. Alright, that's all we have for this week. Remember to like, subscribe, leave a good review, and tell someone about the Finchwood Discipleship Podcast. Also, go over to our YouTube channel, like I mentioned earlier, and keep an eye out for those videos on different models of prayer. Finally, throughout this week, try some of those different models, and let us know how it went using the contact info in the description. Thanks for joining me in this episode of the Finchwood Discipleship Podcast, and I will see you in a week for our next topic, which is how to read the Bible. You have a great week, and thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Finchwood Discipleship Podcast conversations for people who want to be more like Jesus. If you enjoyed this episode, then please subscribe now and consider sharing it with your friends. For more information about this episode's topic, or to continue the discussion, please consult the show notes. See you next time!